Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Daniel Day Podcast, a podcast all about discipleship and leadership. I'm Daniel Day, your host. Welcome to the program. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Daniel Day, your host, and I am joined with Dr. Darnell Williams. Darnell, welcome to the program. Hey, glad to be with you, my friend. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to our conversation today on the subject of primal practices of faith, uh, seeking to return to the early church and what they did to turn the world upside down. I cannot wait to get your insights on this subject, but before we go any further, do me a favor, please, and take us to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Father, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you honor. We give you glory. You are king of our lives. And so, Father, we say yes to you. We thank you that you are a good, good father. We give you praise. And my God, as we talk, share, and encourage someone today, I pray that you just be with us. Those that will listen to this broadcast, I pray to bring them missional clarity and stir up vision and cultivate a heart for what you are saying and doing for your church, for your body right now in these times that we live. So Father, I bless Pastor Daniel and I thank you for him and his creativity and innovative insight in creating this podcast. In Jesus name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, friends, if you're just hopping on to this broadcast as it goes live, would you do me a favor and share, like, heart, comment, uh, let us know where you're watching from, where you're listening from, if you're able to. Uh, it is such a joy to see uh, all of the different people and places uh, that this podcast has been reaching into. It's such a joy. And our guest today is Dr. Darnell Williams. Uh, please allow me to introduce him briefly here. He is the senior pastor of One Church. Uh, it's a multi-ethnic ministry out of Lima, Ohio. And uh, Darnell is a native of Ohio, born and raised. Uh, go Bucks! Amen. Oh, you, 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 you in the spirit, brother. Man, I, I tell you what, um, I'm married into the, uh, the O-H-I-O uh, situation. And my father-in-law told me when I asked his daughter to marry, he said, if you don't, if you don't root for the bucks, you're not welcome in this family. So I got to uh, meet this man. Yes. He's a good man. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, he's also, uh, Darnell is also a general presbyter for the assemblies of God. And, uh, he's the vice president for the national black fellowship of the assemblies of God. He's also an author of a great book, uh, that he was so kind enough to send me called wings to rise. Highly encourage you to pick that up. Uh, so Darnell, thank you for giving us some of your time today. Oh, my friend, I am so happy to be with you. I want to say to you that I'm grateful for our friendship. You are truly a man of God and I've been around you and the Lord has just cultivated the right service heart in you. So I'm glad to be with you and uh, I'm excited about our conversation today. Yes, sir. Well, uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, Again, just so grateful for the insights you're about to bring on the subject matter today. Um, I've entitled this podcast um, for today, The Primal Practices of the Early Church and Why It's So Important for Us to Rediscover Them and Apply Them 
to today's ministry practices, um, mainly prayer, evangelism, discipleship, uh, just getting back to those things that made the early church so explosive and impactful in their generation. And I know this is really heavily on your heart right now. So why don't you just open us up and tell us why is this subject matter so important and so heavy on your heart right now? Yeah, you know, Pastor Daniel, that's a great question. Thanks. You know, COVID and and pastoring and leading people through the challenges of, of COVID, especially in the year 2020, we really had to step back from what we were doing as a church. And when I say we, I don't mean myself as an individual or my local church, but we as leaders in the kingdom had to step back and say, you know, what is really important? What, what, in other words, what are the bare minimum things we need to do to stay a functional biblical church? What, what, what are those? I love the words you use primal. What are those primal things that are timeless, that are not stylistic, that don't change from generation to generation. And, and from that, in, in talking to the Lord about this, processing with my leadership team, my staff, I really emerged with this sense that, you know what, we gotta be focused on discipleship and we gotta focus on evangelism. Uh, we gotta help people form Jesus into their lives and we've got to help them know how to share Jesus when they are in the world. So those are those two things, discipleship and evangelism. Let's go a little deeper and let's assume for a moment that there may be some folks out there watching or listening uh, in these terms, discipleship and evangelism. Uh, maybe they're terms that they've heard many times, but no one's ever taken the time to really explain them and define them. Uh, in your own words, I'm not looking for any right or wrong answer here, but just in your own words, uh, how would you define a disciple? What does that mean to you? You know, again, man, great question. I try to look at discipleship and, and ask myself the question, what should I learn as though I'm hearing this word for the first time? What, what does the Bible teach? So, you know, we we talk about the spiritual formation piece, as I said earlier, but really a disciple is a learner, which implies there is a teacher. <laughs> there is a discipleship means that you are a follower, a follower of someone's way, their life, their lifestyle, their priorities, their choices, their worldview, their manner of living, which implies there also is a master, someone who can teach you their way. Likewise, you are a student, you are a learner, and there's someone to educate you, to teach you. <clears throat> and so I, I really feel the Lord calling us back to the place of learning, following, and becoming in the posture of student. I need to, I need to relearn what it means to follow Jesus in this world that we live in right now. Yesterday's practices really won't help us. We gotta, we gotta be ready to enter the world that we are in today. 
Right. And I mean, you are a person of uh, uh, academia. You have your doctorate. It took you years and years of, uh, of study to get there. Um, a lot of time and effort and writing and, and, and research. And I know a little bit about uh, what you've walked through as I'm walking through similar things now. Um, and I understand that there's a difference between reading something and meditating on it and studying it and diving into it and, and not only diving into material, but letting that material dive into me. Yes. And um, so if, if somebody's out there and, and they say, you know what, that sounds great. I really want to learn. And they're like, I wonder where do I start? Who, who should I, who should I be going to? What kind of a person should I be looking for? Uh, what are some good qualities uh, that you think, you know, when you see this in a person, you think, man, that would be somebody I would like to follow. What are some qualities they might be looking for? Yeah, man. You know, one is I think we got to be captured. Our hearts need to be captured once again to the life, ministry, and teachings of Christ. I think the gospels need to become central. Jesus did a lot of his teaching, a lot of his miracles, a lot of his interactions did not happen within the temple, didn't happen within the sanctuary. As a matter of fact, very little happened inside the temple and in the, and in the synagogue. Where Jesus was was out in the marketplace. He was present where people were lost. He looked over the sea of Jerusalem. He said, man, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they have no protector. They have no one to lead them, no one to guide them. So I, I think, and, and one of the things that we've been really focused on is relearning the life of Christ, picking up the gospels. And just like I said about the, 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 the term discipleship, picking up the gospel and saying, who is this man, Jesus? What can I learn from him? Yeah. Because he's the master, he's the teacher. And, and the second thing I think I would say to that Daniel, is you need someone in life that is practicing the life of Christ as well. Sometimes we read about Jesus and he is the ideal, he is the prototype, he is the one that is the master teacher. And sometimes that can seem so intimidating and so disconnected. You know, the Bible tells us, mark the perfect man for the end thereof is peace. And so you need someone that's close in proximity that is living out the life of Christ, but they're accessible to you as a human being. And so um, I guess, you know, the terminology we would use is a mentor or a discipling leader, but you need, so to me, you need the gospels in one hand and you need that mentoring in the other hand, that teacher who has um, gone ahead of you, that's at a different stage of life than you, that can help you uh, understand complexity. And likewise, I think younger leaders need to be influenced by older leaders, but also older leaders need to be influenced by younger leaders. Uh, they help you exegete the culture. They help you understand vo modern vocabulary. They help you understand technology and how to use it. So. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, to add to that, I think too, it, it's really helpful. And, and I'll turn 40 this year. 
And, and, and I know that I'm not incredibly old, but I'm not incredibly young either. <laughs> and um, I can't tell you how many times my 20 something assistant or my 20 something uh, children's pastor hasn't only, um, not only are they helping me uh, with reverse mentorship, but they're also protecting right. me because sometimes words that I used to use that's right. uh, mean something totally different now. So if I want to have relevance or if I don't want to push away my mission field, um, I better not speak a certain way or say a certain thing um, because words mean different things now. And so they've actually, because of the relationship uh, and reverse mentorship, and they would say that they're, they're being mentored by my wife and I too, um, we can help bring them up and, and, and elevate them spiritually and, and in many different ways. But they're also protecting me from pushing my mission field away by using outdated vocabulary or vocabulary that now means something different to them. Sure. Um, you know, it's just really interesting. So there's value, as you said, to that reverse mentorship. Um, you know, as you're speaking, the idea of Elijah and Elisha kind of was coming to my mind. And, uh, you know, there at the end, Elisha kind of had to chase him down, right? <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I've heard it said kind of like this, um, the mentors we really want, and sometimes the mentors we really need are sometimes the least available people. And, uh, you kind of have to put some effort into, uh, getting around them. Um, maybe it's just saying, Hey, I want five minutes from your door to the car. Let me carry your bags. I, I mean, just do something to chase down that person and earn some time with them. And so there's two things here I'd love for you to speak to. Number one, um, to the young person who is dissatisfied with the relationship that they have with their pastor or their mentor because their pastor is not spending enough time with them and so on and so forth. And um, how might you encourage that young person to be like Elisha and say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be mentored by you. One, I'm going to chase you down. I mean, we're going to, you know, we're, this is going to happen. I mean, sometimes young people get offended when they, they, they don't realize they need to put some effort into, right. Yeah. And, and then there's the older person who, who might be very busy. Uh, their responsibilities have grown. Um, it's stacked up and uh, they want to spend more time with these young people, but uh, but they just have a lot of responsibilities on their plate right now. So how would you encourage both groups? Man, that's a really great question, Pastor. Um, so for, for the one seeking the mentorship, you know, I, I, there's an old adage that says when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Um, so if you're ready to receive that type of relationship, I would say to you, look, look up and look around and see who are the people God has in my life. Um, some years ago, he was a great leader. He was the CEO of GE, wrote some books in the 90s. I read about him. Uh, he was big talk when I was going to school, business school. And um, his name was Jack Welch. And they used to ask Jack Welch, you know, what do you think about mentorship? And he said, first of all, you don't need a mentor. You need a number of different mentors. You need people that see the world from a context that have expertise in, in some area. So you may need a mentor to help you 
as you're trying to lead a multi-ethnic ministry? Who is doing that successfully? Who is someone you could access? You may need another mentor that can help you understand how to pour into the life of younger leaders. How do you shape them, form them? You may need a mentor that's pastoring a church that's a different size than you, uh, especially when those um, kind of barrier thresholds start to emerge. How did you break that barrier? Um, so th that's one thing. Personally, I was blessed with a relationship with a man that I call my spiritual father. His name was Bishop Burton Rawls. He was an incredible man. And his life challenged me. I was just blessed to have access to him. I dare say I wouldn't be in this great fellowship, the Assemblies of God, had it not been for him and his influence in my life. And much like you talked about Elisha pursuing Elijah, I had to pursue him. He was, he was accessible, but I had to put some skin in the game. You know, I had, to, I, had to, I had to put some skin in the game. And that proximity of being able to listen to him pray, watch how he treated his wife, watch as a father how he interacted with his children, watch him in worship, impacted me. It made me reprioritize my life. So I'm going to pause there and uh, see where you want to go. No, that's did. so good. I think when you said put skin in the game, um, what young people don't know, well, they don't know what they don't know. And that is exactly. um, they don't know what this older leader has gone through. Uh, and I would bet money that if they've been in the ministry or in leadership for any number of years, probably early on, they gave their heart away uh, to people who stepped on it. And they learned real quick, okay, maybe I need to be a little more cautious about yes. who I'm spending my time with, who I'm investing. You know, the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. And, um, and so when you're a younger leader and now you want to get with somebody who's 20 years older than you or 30 years older than you, and they're not immediately giving their heart away, what you don't know is they've learned better. They, they know that, you sure. know. Uh, and so you, maybe a good question is, Hey, pastor, what time do you pray? I want to show up and just be in the room. I want to pray with you. Hey, what Absolutely. time, what time are you reading your Bible or, or when are you going to the hospital? I want to tag along or, um, whatever, you know, pursuing. And then, you know, I remember when I was a fresh out of Bible college youth pastor, I had a, I had a senior pastor, pastor, uh, C Eddie Lee, uh, is his name out in El Paso. And he was 65. I was 25. And you know what? I was kind of offended the first year because he barely gave me a high five in the hallway for the first year. But here's what I didn't know. And that was he wanted to see if I was going to stick around long enough to be worthy of his time. Yeah. You know, and the second year was a lot different. The third year was really good. And now he still continues to be a voice in my life as a mentor. And um, and so I think young people, they just don't know what they don't know. And, um, how would you, how would you, uh, help them to better understand their seasoned leader and maybe some of the pain he's gone through, uh, and, and maybe try to at least give them some information on that subject and be like, Hey, you know, uh, he wants to pour his heart out to you, but he's waiting to see if you're, if you're really going to stick around, you know? Yeah. yeah. And especially if you're in the world of staff pastoring where leaders come and go. I think the statistic is 
most staff pastors stay at a church three years. So as a lead, a senior pastor who is hiring people uh, and seeing them come and go, you got to say, man, how much statistically you're going to be here three years, you know? So how much, you know, do I download everything to you? Do we have time and margin to do that? And then do you have the hunger and are you going to see the value of it? Um, Pastor, I talked about my father and mentor, Bishop Ross, but I also had a very formal uh, mentoring relationship with another guy when I passed it on in Columbus, Ohio. And I went to him. He was a very well-respected local minister, pastored a fairly large church, 1,500 people at the time. And I went to him. I said, hey, can I talk to you? Just, I just want to pick your brain and get some wisdom from you. And so we would meet for lunch once a quarter. He would order lunch. I would have a glass of water and an empty yellow legal pad. And I would ask him open-ended questions I had thought through. And uh, I would just write down. And I tell you, some of the insights he gave me, I'm still burning that fuel in my ministry now. If I were to probably do the math, I'm probably as old as he was then I am now. <laughs> but it, it was really good. So again, the Jack Welch's wisdom, you may not need one mentor. You may, may, you may need a series of people who make themselves accessible and available to you, people that are willing to you know, the platform guy, and we all know what I mean when I say that, the person that's on the platform that's, you know, a high-capacity leader that's successful, they're the, the conference speaker, and they're on the great platforms. They they just, they may not have the margin to really invest in you. So in that regard, I would say, listen to everything they have said, everything they got out there, their podcast, when they speak. Maybe go to conferences where you see them, maybe read their books, but it's going it's probably going to be challenging to make somebody uh, of that capacity, a mentor that you can really touch and have access to. Yeah. And really this all comes back to primal practices and these types of mentorship relationships, discipleship, which then really out of those relationships came powerful evangelism it's amazing how you read through the early chapters of Acts and on into right into Acts chapter 11 in the Church of Antioch and how uh, the one of the biggest evangelistic tools that God gave the early church was this, the outside world looked in and saw this powerful relationship. The outside world looked in and saw people who cared about each other. And uh, that became this magnet right to to the church adding and then eventually the the bible starts using the word multiplying multiplying and um and so let's kind of shift gears and and let's talk about that that piece and if you want to bring us to the word i know that you had mentioned acts 11 19 to 26 as being on your yes. heart today we i'll i'll just throw it to you and 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 leave it there uh for you to take us to the next piece but Sometimes we don't even realize how these relationships that we're building and the mentorship that we're cultivating actually becomes attractive to the world and, and uh, new relationships can be formed. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Jesus was among those who needed to be uh, rescued. And so just take us there, talk to us, because Antioch really is kind of a, 
uh, a picture of our culture today, isn't it? Yeah, amen. I, you know, I say Antioch is my favorite church in the book of Acts uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and I want to, I want to preface our approach to Antioch with this kind of insight um, I had one day. A few years ago, my wife and I, we moved and uh, we bought a house in a, you know, an emerging development. And there was a lot of, when we got in, there was a lot of empty lots around us. And so the person that originally built the house was moving. They actually bought a few lots up the, up the road from us. And so uh, she was a cat lady and uh, she had a few cats. And, and then she said, you know, there's a feral cat that I feed. And, you know, I grew up in Cleveland. I'm, I'm a city boy. I, I didn't know what she meant, feral cat. I mean, I'd heard the term feral, obviously. I didn't know what it meant. And I began to just wonder, what, what feral cat, what, what, what does that mean? So I began to, to look at this, bro. And I found out that when an animal has been domesticated, take a cat. There's other animals. They say sheep were the first animals that man ever domesticated. Goats, cows, um, dogs, cats, whatever. When you domesticate an animal, their instincts start to diminish and recess. Their instinct to hunt, their instinct to find, to forage, their instinct to find shelter because someone's taking care of them. And so they start to live out this domesticated life. When soon as you hear my niece has a little dog, a little lap dog, and soon as he hears the, the package open for his food, he knows it's time to eat. So he comes running to the, to the bowl to eat. He knows anytime he wants water, he doesn't have to find where water is gathered. He just goes to the bowl to find it. But when that animal gets reintroduced back into the wild, back into adversarial environment, those instincts start to awaken again. I love the language you use, primal. Those primal instincts start to awaken. And that, that, that cat that had become dull to hunting now sharpens its skill. And, and, and something happens that it begins to transform and it becomes feral. In other words, it's, it, it recognizes, I got to figure out how to survive. I don't have anybody taking care of me anymore. I've, I've got I've to make it work. And so rather than just freeze, they find shelter. Rather than just starve, they develop the instinct to hunt. And I took this kind of insight and said, man, what if the church became feral? What if we stopped seeing ourselves as this domesticated, refined, come on, come on, especially believers, preach, right? <laughs> and really started to say, I want to tap into what the church used to be. Amen. I, I want those instinctual things to come back. And I think the two is we've been talking about is discipleship and evangelism. Man, how how can we get the power back to people? And, and how can we release them to go forward and impact the lives of others? You know, Pastor Daniel, uh, my family was a marginal Methodist family. Uh, I, I grew up going to church, you know, with my grandmother. I remember her taking me as a little boy, five, six years old, seven years old. And 
when the sermon time, that was time for me to lay across my grandma's lap and take a nap. So we didn't, didn't grow up in a, you know, we grew up in a godly home, but not very religious, not very spiritual home. We had a God awareness. But as I became a teenager, the, the people that impacted my life weren't people in the church. It was people who kind of rubbed against me in society and culture. My best friend's mother, who I met at the Boy Scouts, who just, I saw her life and I saw something different about her. And she, she would tell me, Darnell, do you know Jesus loves you? My, my, the pastor of the, of the church that we were in, where the community was experiencing white flight and, but he was there and recognizing that the demographics of his church was changing. So he poured a basketball concrete slab and put up basketball hoops in his parking lot. And he just started saying, Hey, you guys come over here and play basketball. And sometimes would even take his shirt off and say, I got skins, you know, let's go. Right. And then he would just say to us, hey, if I bought some pizza and some Pepsi, would you guys come and let me tell you some stories about the Bible? And my experience wasn't in the sanctuary. You know, I think it's ironic that the Lord would call me to be a pastor because really that wasn't my that wasn't my experience to Christ. My experience with Jesus was meeting people that had been transformed by him in the marketplace. And I believe that's the primal place the Lord wants us to be. You know, I love how you mentioned your pastor was like, hey, let's play basketball together. Hey, let's eat some pizza together. Didn't make it complicated. It wasn't like, hey, let me uh, let me take you down the Romans road and all this and and, and let me give you some power evangelism. And yeah. uh, it was just real. It was it was meeting them where they were. It was feeding them. Uh, I like how you put it there. It says, Hey, if I do this, will you guys let me do that? It was asking permission to Absolutely. speak into people's lives. And I found, I found out real early on that, um, uh, it's easier to feed a, a little baby bird if it's beaks open. Um, and, uh, if it's not, you're not going to force that baby bird to eat. And, and so, you know, we gotta, we gotta be more, here's a word that I think describes that method of evangelism is winsome winsome yeah. you know your, your pastor was winsome to these young people and here you yeah. are pouring into others lives because of yeah. that evangelism how important is it for us to just not be don't overcomplicate evangelism you know just just be a friend be in someone's life be around them uh and in that context of relationship bring the word of god <laughs> My friend, you, you, what you said there was so insightful because I'm, I was kind of a product of that same era. Evangelism explosion, the two questions that you wore to pin, the power evangelism uh, with science following. Um, I think the unintended consequence, they trained us well, but the unintended consequence was it made us transactional. So we, so our approach, maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally was, okay, I, I, I did the thing. I did the thing. I, 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 I did the thing that I needed to do. Check. And when I think about the lady's name was Mabel Eubanks. When I think about Mabel Eubanks, when I think about Pastor Vanderway, and Pastor Vanderway, <laughs> 
he none of our none none of the none of the young men that he mentored and developed and discipled i don't think any of us ever came to his church our parents never came they never paid tithes they never gave any money to the building project i mean his heart was just totally around i'm surrounded I'm this white pastor. I'm surrounded by a neighborhood of black young men, most of whom don't have fathers in their life. I cannot stand by and do nothing. Right. Wow. And he just was like, Hey, I'm come, let me talk to you guys. And you saying that just, just added punctuation to it. Do I have your permission? Right. And so I think we've got to stop thinking transactionally and stop thinking, okay, I did the thing. The thing is living an incarnational life before people where we show Christ. The thing is long. Yeah, I know there's those moments in Walmart where you say, hey, you look burdened. Can I pray for you? Or, you know, you talk to someone and you feel prompted of the Lord. But, but really the effective work is consistency over a long haul of touching, reaching, and impacting people's lives with the gospel of Jesus. You know, I'm, I, how, how, how are we seeing, uh, again, Acts 11 and the Church of Antioch, uh, and I know that that scripture there, verses 19 to 26, is really something you've been preaching on, you've been teaching on. Um, do we see some of these primal um, uh, practices that we've been talking about uh, how were they fleshed out in such an ungodly culture there in Antioch? Yeah, you know, Antioch was a was the it's called the third jewel of the Roman Empire. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, and then you had Antioch, right? And so we know the story. Jesus in every gospel is clear: go make disciples. As the Father sent me, so I've sent you. These signs shall follow them. All of the gospels declare this. But Acts eleven nineteen, 19, it talks about how, yeah, they went north to, to um, Antioch, but they were preaching to the Jews only. So they followed that same model of let's start kind of with our home team, our home base, where the low-hanging fruit is, and let's reach them first. But in verse 20, it talks about how that there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went up to Antioch and they started talking to the Hellenists. I mean, they, they started engaging with the idol worshipers, those that didn't know Jesus, didn't have any frame of reference for monotheism. That was just what the Jews did. And they started preaching the Lord Jesus to them. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because what would happen if we just started preaching Jesus again? Come on. Right. And what I love, again, feral faith, you call it primal practice. These disciples, they just say where they're from, Cyprus and Cyrene, right? Cyprus, we know, is existing today. It's, it's an island, um, and it was heavily influenced in the, in the first century by Egypt. And Cyrene is, was part of North Africa, modern-day Libya. And I began to ask myself questions, Pastor, like there's no Peter, no James, no John, no Andrew, no Matthias. There's 
we read about Barnabas and Saul, Paul coming later. Who were these disciples? Where did they get the boldness to say, I'm going to Antioch and I'm going to preach there? It was something that just was that primal, that pharaoh thing that said the gospel isn't there and we need to be there. We need to be present. We need to active. We need to be engaged and involved. We, we can't stand by, like I said about Pastor Vandaway, and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? They weren't, I don't read that they were credentialed, don't read that they were anointed, don't read that they, they just went. And yeah. they went because the Lord said go. You know, um, I can't tell you how many times um, I have had the opportunity to either teach on evangelism or um, be in a room full of evangelists. And I mean, true evangelists that they're not just waiting to get on the platform to evangelize. Right. They're, they're witnessing to whomever, wherever. And, uh, you know, evangelists, depending on their particular style and their personality, some are really uh, 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 convinced that there's one way, you know, like a declarational model, a preaching model. I'm going to stand on the corner of a street and this is evangelism and they might diminish the, the relational piece. And then there are some who are more relational and long-term and patient in personality. And they may say, well, I may not be on the street corner, but I am evangelizing. Um, And I think that it would be really great to hear someone uh, from your position of authority, just speak into the fact that the body of Christ needs both styles. And as the Holy Spirit leads us in moments, there might be times when your personality is declarational, like we see in Acts 8 with uh, Stephen and um, I'm sorry, Philip. Philip uh, declared in the early part of, uh, of Acts 8 to Samaria, mm-hmm. preached a Billy Graham style, multi, you know, everybody's there. And then at the end of the chapter, he's relational with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so here's a guy who says to the Holy Spirit, if you want me to declare on this, I'll declare. You want me to go over here and talk to the individual? I'll talk to the individual. Exactly. Um, can you just help? help someone out there who may be listening and they heard you say um, incarnational relational and they're thinking to themselves oh this guy you know or they or they or maybe they heard you say uh, these two guys we don't know their names and they went up to Antioch and they started preaching Jesus well which one is it darnell is it relational or is it declarational i mean talk to that you know pastor again you're very insightful and you've made this so easy to to have this conversation. Faith, I believe, faith is more about learning how to live in tension. And tension is not something you seek to resolve. Tension is something you have to just live into. The tension of time and eternity. We got to live into that. The tension of being versus doing. The tension of, of learning and going. And I don't think we just fall on the side of, I'm just looking for eternity, but I have no use in time. Nor do we think, I've got to make my life count. And so I got to enjoy life. And I'm in no, I have no regard for eternity. 
And I think it's the tension that we've got to learn how to live into. We got to embrace that tension and we got to learn how to live into it. And sometimes it's not messy. Uh, excuse me. Sometimes it is messy. You know, there's a story of the Old Testament man, Naaman, who gets uh, healed. Uh, he, he, Elisha offends him, tells him, go wash in the Jordan. He says, we know the story. And as he, he comes back to the prophet, he says, I know that there's only one God, and that's the God of Israel. And he's going back, <laughs> and he says, listen, when I go back, I have a master. And my custom and the protocol is that I escort him into the temple of, of, of the God that I used to serve. And he's going to be on my shoulder. And when he kneels, I'll have to kneel. He said, now I believe that there's only one God, and it's the God of Israel who healed me. But when I walk in that temple and the protocol is he kneels, he, you know, I'm there to kneel with him and I get down on my knees. I'm not worshiping that God. I'm just on my knees. But what am I to do? He asked the prophet, what, what do I do to resolve this? And I love uh, Elisha's word to him. He says, go in peace. Go in peace. It, it's not something for you to resolve. You just, you just live into it. And so I think pro there is a place for proclamation. Hey, I'm a preacher, man. I'm a local church pastor. I stand every week on a platform declaring the word of the Lord. I take serious. We plan out our year, what themes we want to touch, what studies we're going to have, all of it. But once that moment is over, what else do we need to do? And that is touching lives of individuals. Again, I, I use myself as a point of reference. If, if it were not for godly people that had the courage and the boldness to make Jesus known to me, I would not have known about him. Amen. I would not have known. And so that's, that's what, that's the tension we got to live. Come to church, get educated, get equipped, get empowered, but then don't let the oil just sit static, allow it to flow into the life of someone that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Darnell, as we begin to um, wind down our conversation here, I think we could spend the next few minutes just speaking directly to up and coming church leaders, maybe that 20 something, that 30 something. Um, and they're seeing the writing on the wall, uh, the culture, the pandemic, the political upheaval, the, the uh, themes of, of racism, uh, coming back into the forefront of culture, rioting, lawlessness, uh, people picking sides and just entrenching themselves into, you know, that very dangerous place where you say, I am right and you are wrong and there's no room for conversation. Um, that's, that's the world these up and coming leaders are, are in. And really there's nothing new under the sun, but there is, you know, I heard one pastor say it like this sin used to crouch at the door. Now it's breaking your door down, mm. you know, and, um, and it's more aggressive, I think, because the enemy knows his time is up. Yes. And, and so we may need to give permission to these younger leaders, or at least set them at liberty to let them know, um, the rows, the pews, the platforms, the, the ways and means of ministry and declaration and, and discipleship and all these primal practices 
you know, part of the reason why the early church uh, did so much and accomplished so much is probably because there was no precedent for how you had to do it. They could just go out there and, and, and create and, and everything was R&D, you know, everything was research and development. Can you just speak to that young person and give them permission to do something new, to do something different, Amen. to do something innovative, right? Amen. Amen. You know, when George Floyd tragically died, we, we know the story surrounding his murder and all that it caused. Um, you mentioned in my introduction that I serve as the vice president of the National Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God. And George P. Wood reached out to us and said, guys, we need your voice. Would you write stories? And so each of the executive officers, president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, wrote an article. And um, in my article, I talked about the three things that's needed. And I would offer those three things to young leaders. First of all, you need to listen. You need to listen. And in my writing, I shared about listening to someone that has a different perspective than you, someone that has a different story than you, someone that sees a world differently than you. You and I have had different experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think those differences hasn't alienated us, it's brought us together, right? And in some regard, as much as we are different, we're very similar. But the similarities can also be discovered as long as we're listening to what our differences would be. So I think we got to learn how to listen. If we're going to be effective in today's society, we got to listen to people. Number two, we got to learn. Right? We got to learn. We got to be willing to say, again, discipleship is about being a learner. We got to be willing to say, you know what, what do I need to learn in this moment? And if your life is built around a monoethic or a homogeneous experience where everybody sees the same thing and everybody reads the same thing and everybody knows the world in a certain way, you're not listening and you definitely are not learning anything. And the third thing is you need to be able to lament. Uh, Lament with those that are hurting. Lament with those that are in crisis. Lament with those that are feeling like they've been marginalized and not accepted and there's no place for them. And so I think as we try to win this world that we're in, those are the three postures we got to stay in. We got we to be listeners. Yeah. Right? And listening doesn't mean compromising. Listening just means I want to understand. Yeah. Steve Covey in his book, famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says, don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. Right? We got to we got to we got to we got to learn. We yeah. got to learn about, you know, one of the things young I'm asking young leaders all the time, help me understand the issues surrounding human sexuality. Like I'm trying I'm trying to understand. Right? It's, it's something that I don't understand. The things that are now celebrated were marginal issues when I was a younger leader. And then the third thing is lament. Lament, help us know that what breaks your heart should break mine. That if you're in tears, Daniel, I want to share a story. Go for it. 
you did something, man, that really impressed me and my family. My sister-in-law was diagnosed with ovarian cancer August 27th. She died December 6th. And you came. You came to that funeral, man. You showed up. And because we were hurting, you hurt with us. There are people that are hurting right now in this world, and they need to know, hey, I can hurt because you're hurting. Empathy. Where's, where's compassion? Where's empathy? Where is, where is the fact that our humanity calls us to say, you know what? I'm going to shed tears because you're crying right now. And if we could do that, if, if, if the heart of the listener, the heart of the learner, the heart of the lamenter, we can have that Antioch experience where the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Praise they could see Christ in us. Amen. Praise, praise God. And I love, I love how you bring out, you know, even just re referencing back to some of what you said earlier, the way you listened and the way you learned with your mentor, you said you had a cup of water and uh, an empty yellow pad and you came prepared with open-ended questions. It's, there's nothing more frustrating than having someone say to you, I want you to mentor me. And then they show up <laughs> and, and it's like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> you know, they, they, they show up unprepared. They show up, they, they haven't thought about it. They, they just want you to somehow magically make them into right. Um, you know, show up with some thought, do some homework, Amen. uh, you know, have some things you really want to dig into your leader or the person you're trying to learn from has a reservoir of wisdom, but there's too much. You can't just come unprepared. Maybe today we got to talk about, like you said, we got to talk about sexual issues or today we got to talk about financial issues or today we got to talk about uh, team issues and building teams or, Absolutely. you know, there's just too much. And that one leader that you want to learn from probably has something to say on all of that, but you can't cover it in a 20 minute session. So pick one thing and drill down deep. You know, Absolutely. and uh, and so the way you come into somebody's and, and, and when you said, listen there, you know what I kept thinking? I kept thinking this is going to take more than one conversation. That's right. You know, be willing to say, OK, man, uh, you know, OK, I, you've told me about your family uh, next week when we get back together. Tell me about your career, your education. OK, next week. Tell me about your religion uh, next week. Tell me about something that you went through that you had to. Uh, really muscle through a challenge you had to face and you overcame it, or tell me about a time where you failed. Um, you know, if you're willing to sit down five times instead of just one time, you'll learn more. Absolutely. Right. And so come prepared, come ready to have more than one conversation. And then I love Romans 12, where it talks about rejoice with those who rejoice, cry with those who cry. That's right. And that's called being a real Christian. That's right. And, and it didn't say just to cry with fellow Christians who cry, cry with right. your neighbor, cry with, you know, I just think all of these insights, these primal practices, this uh, feral faith, that, that instinctive thing that, that, that just comes from the Holy ghost that you brought to us today. It's, it's not only needed, it's, we have to have it. Amen. And uh, if we don't have it, then, then we're just going to be spinning our wheels until the, the up and coming generation finds us totally irrelevant. So um, I give you the and last the truth, word. And the truth of the matter, Pastor, we are one generation away from losing our faith. 
If we think like that, discipleship and evangelism will we'll, we'll, we'll do that primal practice. We'll do that feral faith because we're one generation away. And so we've got, this is not any longer an issue of convenience. It's an issue of survival. That's good. Pastor, pray for us and uh, bring us to the Lord. Father, I thank you for this time that we've spent in your presence contemplating your word, reflecting on the moving of the Holy Ghost over the annals of time in your church. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch the heart of some leader today, that you would reignite within them. I know the distraction of attendance and how do we uh, execute uh ministry correctly and when do we open and when do we close and when do we start and when do we start and how do we and trying to figure out both doing ministry in the in the physical as well as the digital world but father in the midst of it all reignite our hearts for passion for discipleship and passion for evangelism dear god lord the nuns are on the rise the duns are on the rise we are in a postmodern culture in a world that is fastly becoming post-Christian. But Lord, it is those first century practices, those primal practices of the first century church, especially what happened there in Antioch. God help us to tap back into those streams, those rivers, so that we can see the kingdom continue to expand. We pray as you taught us, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Darnell, thank you so much for all of your insight and for taking some of your important time, uh, your precious time to, to just pour into us and our audience and to help us understand in a much better way what it means Amen. to be a Christian in this world and to return back to those early practices that made the church so effective. Um, Dr. Williams, if there is a website, if somebody wanted to, uh, catch up with you and listen to some of your sermons or order your book, is there a website or anything you'd like to point the people to, to, uh, so they can follow you or, or yeah. keep up with yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, the, probably the best thing to do would be to DM me and we can connect. I can tell you how to get the book, uh, wings to rise. I wish I had a copy of it nearby. I'd show it to you, uh, wings to rise. Uh, but also um, the church website, One Church Lima, onechurchlima.com. And uh, you can reach out to us, send me a message at Darnell Williams uh, on um, all the social media outlets. All right. Well, praise God. Listen, right. man, thanks for your time. This has been wonderfully rich. Thank you. Man of God bless you. <laughs>